So we have been going through a, a new series talking about marriage, upside down marriage, surprising thoughts, finding and building a life of love. And um, I've loved the last few weeks just kind of hearing some of the stories from some of you guys about how God's already been using some of this in your marriage and in your life, especially from last week. And um, if you have other stories, I'd love to hear them because I just love to hear how God works in, in our church. And it's cool to hear some of the things that he is doing. And my encouragement would be to you to really take in, let God speak to you, let um, respond to what he says and allow him to work um, even tonight and every, and every Sunday, never to just kind of show up and, and just kind of be present, but to show up and go, man, God, I want you to work. I want you to, I mean, we've got so many things we could be doing with our time, right? Always. So many, I mean, especially today, so beautiful out there. You could just walk around looking at leaves, listening to Adele, and just enjoying the day, right? But you, you're here, and so, man, my prayer, my hope is always that we come and go, God, speak. Use, use this time. Um, and, even, and tonight, we're, we're going to talk about what I really believe is the heart of marriage, what I believe is the heart of what, what it looks like and means to have a healthy and a good marriage and just relationships in general. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. What is, the, what is at the heart of marriage? What is at the heart, the very core um, but before we even do that, I just felt like, man, I just want to pray even before we begin this time. And so would you just pray with me and ask God to, to work even in this time. And so, Father, we do ask that, that you would open our hearts. I've got to pray um, that you would speak to every person in this room. I know that you brought every single person here and that every single person in here matters so deeply to you. That you love every single person here. And you desire good, whether married or single or dating or wherever along the spectrum. God, you desire good and you desire health and you desire wholeness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak tonight and that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what is at the heart of marriage? What's at the heart of a good marriage? And even just that language of something at the heart, if you think of your heart that is where everything flows from, right? I mean, the heart of something is where life and death can flow from. I mean, I could, and I'm, I'm not planning on doing it, but I could cut off my arm and still live, right? I could cut off my leg and still live. You could cut off my ears and I would still live. I know it's like, man, that's gruesome, right? But it, you could still live. But the heart is where life comes from, right? One simple blade to the heart and I'm done. The heart is where life comes from and it's where death comes from. Everything comes out of the heart. And so what is at the heart of marriage? What is it that's at the very core? That, that if, if, it's, if life is there, life spreads everywhere. And if death is there, death spreads everywhere. What is the heart of marriage? And there's a lot of issues we could talk about. Right? There's a lot of different things, and we've already talked about some, and we'll continue to talk about things. And if you were to go to a marriage counselor, if you even just think, man, what would be the things that I was going to talk about? Probably communication and conflict. I mean, those are some of the top things that, that people think of, right? And those are some of the big issues that are present. But what is at the heart? Because there's still something even more than any of those things. There's something more than talking about conflict and communication and sex, and there's something more than that. What is at the heart? And oftentimes what happens with marriage conversations is that it talks about the negative things. 
And so if, if you think about it with like your, your body, yourself, if you have some sort of sickness, um, like I've got, you know, gluten issues and stomach issues that come from that. And what I used to do several years ago was go, well, I'm just going to get some Tums and I'm going to get some Pepsid AC and I'm going to get some, just put Pepto-Bismol on tap and I'm just going to, I'll be good to, you know, take some aspirin and, and you just kind of treat the problems. But if you actually want to be healthy, you've got to make changes to positive things, not just treating the negative symptoms, right? And you've got to eat right, and you've got to exercise, and you've got, to, you've got to treat the positive things, not just alleviate negative symptoms. And sometimes that's what happens with conflict and communication and this issue and this issue. Instead of going, what is at the heart? How do we get to the heart? How do we work on things that is health versus just problem maintenance, or symptom relief, bless you. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we do that? What is at the heart of marriage? And here's what the Bible says. Let's go back to the beginning to when marriage first came on the scene. Here's what happened in the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Okay, so Adam starts off in the garden by himself. God says, that is not good. It's not good that this man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then here's kind of the summary statement. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here's what the Bible says is at the very heart of marriage. It's friendship. It's companionship. Adam is by himself. He's alone. And God says, that's not good. What I want for you is to experience another human being in your life. Now, we're talking about marriage, but this is true just in general. I mean, with community in general, that people are not meant to be alone. And God says in the very beginning, I mean, even just this verse, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This, many older theologians kind of use the the words leave and cleave. So you leave this and you cleave to this. That's the hold fast. That a new, intimate, deep, unified relationship takes place. Friendship, right? The the very heart, the very beginning of it was, here is this companion for you. God didn't say, man, it's not good that the man should be alone. Let me give him a horse because that'll help him to ride around and have fun. He didn't say, let me give him an ox so he'll be able to make his garden tilled and stuff. He said, I'm going to give him a companion, a woman, someone suitable that they would hold fast to one another. Here's how Song of Songs or Song of Solomon says this. And this is all throughout, okay? But I'm just showing you a couple places. This is a whole, if you've never read this book, it's just a whole love fest, okay? And it, she says this about her husband, this is my beloved and this is my friend. This is my beloved and this is my friend. In Proverbs, there's um, a verse where the woman says about her husband, 
she uses this Hebrew word that if you look up in Hebrew dictionaries, it means a best friend. This is what is at the heart of marriage. The very heart of marriage is friendship. That's what it is. That is what it is. It's a friendship, a deep, unified, intimate friendship. Now, this is not even just what the Bible says. John Gottman, who I talked about, um, I don't, can't remember, a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago, he's kind of famous for the University of Washington. His research has been done there and then duplicated all throughout the country that he has this thing called the Love Lab, and they predict with 91% accuracy if a couple will get divorced. Based on all the study, hundreds and hundreds of research that he, a couple, hundreds and hundreds of couples and research that he's done. And here's what he says that he has seen boils down to here's what makes a good marriage. This is part of why I think we even trust the Bible. I mean, I think the Bible stands on its own, but you read the Bible and you see so many things that later people go, oh, look, we've done all this research that says this. And the Bible's kind of like, yeah, I said that a couple thousand years ago. Should just check me. But, but, but that's part of what validates. And here's what John Gottman says. Happy marriages, this is kind of a summary statement that he says, here's what it all boils down to. Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this, I mean a mutual respect for enjoyment of each other's company. And then a little bit later, he says this, the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. For men, 70%. So what is it that actually even people go, this, man, I'm satisfied with all these other elements in our marriage. Friendship, friendship. He has a book called the seven, something about the seven principles in marriage or something. But again, it's this statement. This is where this is from. He boils it all down to it's friendship, friendship at the very heart of marriage. That thing which gives it life or that thing which if not present, if not operating fully, gives it death is friendship because that's what it was designed for. In the very beginning, that's what it was. And this is what we want, right? If you're married, this is what you want. If you're not married, this is what you hope for in a marriage. You want a friendship. Nobody wants to say just, you know, this is not the apex of what you hope for in your relationship. That somebody comes to you and says, how's your marriage? And you go, well, it doesn't suck. That's not what you want, right? You want to be able to say, man, it's, there's a friendship there. There's a friendship there. Now, to broaden a little bit outside of marriage, this is the same thing. See, God didn't just design any of us to be by ourselves. Didn't design us that way. He designed us to function fully, to find life fully in relationship with other people. So marriage is a microcosm of that. All marriage is is a really intense friendship. But everything that we'll talk about tonight is this, man, you need friends. Jesus didn't die. Listen to this. Jesus did not die to just save you. He died to bring you into a family of people. He died to to bring you to himself, but in so doing, give you connection and intimacy and unity with other people. That's what it is. You know that. Everybody knows that in the sense that you feel that, you long for that, you desire that, you want that. So we're talking about marriage, but that is just a microcosm of community as a whole of what Jesus wants for our lives, of what he even died to bring us into. 
So what is at the heart of marriage? It's friendship. But why is friendship so important? Why, why can I say that friendship is at the heart of marriage? Why is it that if the friendship is going great, there's satisfaction in all these other places, but if the friendship is not, then other things are not? Why is friendship such an important thing? And here is just what Gottman says. He says, most marriages start off with such a high set point that it's hard for either partner to imagine their relationship derailing. But far too often, this blissful state doesn't last. Over time, irritation, resentment, and anger build to the point that the friendship becomes more and more of an abstraction. The couple may pay lip service to it. They say, oh yeah, of course we're friends. But it's no longer their daily reality. Eventually, they end up in negative sentiment override. Everything gets interpreted in an increasingly negative manner. And here's what he means by that. If you think about when a friendship starts to go away, and you can think about this even just with friends that you've had that you're not married to, just people. If the friendship starts to kind of crumble, what happens is, as he says it, negative sentiment override, which is everything starts to get interpreted negatively. So if somebody says, hey, look, I bought you a present, and you go, oh, are you trying to, you trying to buy my love? Or you say, man, we don't have money for that. You're so careless. Everything gets interpreted negatively. Or maybe a husband says to his wife, or a wife says to her husband, hey, we should go out more often. Are you saying I don't think about you and take you out enough? Like everything just starts to get filtered through a negative sentiment override. So that even positive things, even good things, begin to shape, begins to color. You know, you've heard of rose-colored glasses. Well, it's the opposite of that. Whatever, thorn-colored glasses. That's what begins to happen. Whereas if you have a friendship, it does the opposite. It creates a positive culture. It creates a culture in the marriage where you go, man, we are one. We're together And so even if there are some negative things, you give grace, you give the benefit of the doubt, you overlook things, you you see each other with eyes of love versus eyes of critique and criticism. So that's why friendship is so important because it filters through to everything else. It changes the highs so that they're higher and it changes the lows so that they're higher because you're viewing things through the context of a friendship. Again, here's how the Bible talks about this. This is Paul in Ephesians, and he says this, in the, and listen to, this is friendship. It's this oneness. It's this unity. It's this coming together. And look at how he describes what that is like. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So see, there's this, it's you are together. It's like you're one body. And you're thinking about someone and loving someone, even the same way that you care for your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, back to that Genesis verse, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So again, look at the, look at the culture of what that picture is like. There's a oneness, an intimacy, a unity. 
that is like we're the same body. And I care for my body, right? And you might go, well, I don't exercise. I know, but you care for your body still. You make sure your body doesn't run in front of a car and you make sure your body doesn't touch a hot stove and you make sure your body gets food and you make sure your body gets rest and you nourish and you cherish yourself. And in a friendship and in a marriage, there's this oneness, this unity where you're not just thinking about yourself anymore. There's actually this coming together. So there's a whole culture of nourishing and cherishing, and thinking about the other person, this holding fast to, this becoming one flesh. And again, he says, this is what the church is also. This is not just marriage. This is what the church is. The church is a place where people come together and hold fast to one another and nourish and cherish one another and think of one another. That's what he's describing here. It's a whole culture. See, why is friendship so important? It's because it is not just specific actions, but it creates a whole culture. This is, I mean, if you think about business, sometimes in business, you might have two different companies, okay? And somebody does the same job, the same job description at this company and the same job description at this company, but the culture of that company changes everything. Because you can be performing your duties, but if it's a culture, everything gets interpreted negatively but it's a culture where people are close and they're unified and they're on the same page and they're going the same direction, then even, the, even though it's the same job, if the team, if the company is unified, it changes everything. In the same, same way with a sports team, if you have a sports team, you can have people doing the same different roles, the same different tasks, but if the team's not unified, the culture's totally different. That's why movies like Remember the Titans, you know, they come in, and, like, and I know that you know, there's racial tension there too, but the first thing is let's get the team unified. It's not even just, hey, let's get them really good at their skills. It's let's bring unity because then that filters to everything else. That's what friendship is. That's what a marriage is. It's unity. It's we're together. We're unified. We're thinking of one another. It's not just us. We're becoming one. That's what a church is. This is, you see why this is so important? Because it affects everything else. It affects everything else. But sadly, a lot of times, little attention is given to a friendship, whether in marriage or just in our lives. Little attention is actually given to the friendship. In a marriage, particularly, what begins to happen is people get together, and then it might start off as a friendship, but then it kind of becomes a business relationship. So we've got bills to pay, and we've got kids to raise, and we've got these things, we've got a house to buy, and we've got a yard to clean, and we've got these things to do, and you become kind of business partners, but not friends. Or maybe you become parents, but not friends. Or sometimes even lovers, but not friends. Or partners, but not friends. And the friendship at the heart of the marriage begins to die out and then everything begins to get filtered through that because there is not a unity. There's not a oneness. There's not a togetherness and it affects everything else. This is part of why Paul says and why Jesus says and why Genesis says there's this leaving and cleaving because you're leaving one thing and joining a new thing. So one of the biggest problems in marriage is that people don't leave their parents. And it's interesting, I mean, he says that explicitly. Leave your father and mother. 
But if you're, if you're, if, if you're, and maybe some of you need to hear this, if, and I, I know many people do, if you're married and your mom or your dad is still your main confidant, they're still the main person you go to for wisdom, they're still the main person you go to for emotional support, they're still the main person that you go to when you have to make a decision and you want to hear from them, something's amiss. And a lot of marriages have problems because of that, because they haven't really left yet. They haven't cleaved, they haven't become friends deeply with this person. They're still holding on to other things. Or, or maybe they do that, but then it switches to the kid. And so the time and the friendship and the investment goes into a child instead of the other spouse. Friendship is so, so important. It's the heart of a marriage. It's the heart that everything else affects. You will only be able to, ha- look, we all want friends, right? We all want friends. We all want deep, meaningful connection. We want that unity, that togetherness. That is where you experience life, whether in a marriage or just with other people. Friendship is absolutely important. So how do we cultivate a friendship? maybe you go, okay, yeah, that's great. I want that. How do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate a friendship? How do we actually work towards building a friendship? And everything I'm going to say is absolutely applicable for you if you're single or if you're married, okay? Because we're talking about how do we cultivate friendship? If you're married, this is the heart of your marriage. But how do we cultivate friendship? How do we do that? And I want, we're going to use this verse again. Just I want you to see this. Everything flows out of this. This leaving and holding fast and two becoming one. Friendship is that togetherness, that unity. That's friendship. This oneness. That's what friendship is. You know that, right? If you have a, someone that you consider your best friend, you feel kindred spirit with them. You feel one with them, right? In Anne of Green Gables, she calls it bosom buddies, okay? So some of you are happy I said that. Other of you are like, what is he talking about, and how does he know that? Um, I'm not going to tell you, but I do. Okay, so to become one flesh. How... (laughs) How do I continue this sermon with living past that? Okay, so two become one flesh. That's friendship. That's friendship. How do you actually cultivate this? We're going to talk about unity, oneness, in five different areas of how we cultivate friendship. And here's the thing. It's not natural. Friendship is not natural. It takes work. You don't find friends. And oftentimes that's what we think. I need to find some friends. I'd like to find some good friends. You don't find friends. You make friends, which means it takes work. It takes effort. It takes thought. How do you, that's why I'm saying this. How do we cultivate a friendship? Not how do we go find friends? How do we cultivate a friendship? If you're married, you will not naturally just stay great friends. You won't. Won't happen naturally. If you want friends, if maybe you're even new to Denver and you're looking for friends, you will not naturally just get friends. You won't just find them. You make friends. 
So how do we do that? How do we cultivate friendship? The good news about this, by the way, is that you can cultivate friendship. If you just have to find friends, then what that means is, well, crap, I haven't found any. If, they, if it's just something that's supposed to fall on our lap or we're just supposed to kind of discover and that hasn't happened yet, then we can go, well, dang it. But if, but if you can cultivate friendship, if you can make friendship, whether you're married or not, then that means you can actually do something. There's actually, it, it, you're not hopeless. Okay, so how do we do this? I'm going to give you five things that are all based on oneness, togetherness. First thing is this, that you have to have a common destination spiritually. You have to have a common place that you are going. See, that's, that's a oneness. You're going in the same direction. That you're actually saying to another person, I want to help you grow and become and experience life with Jesus. I want to help you experience that. I want to help you get there. I want to help you become who God has intended you to become. That's the, that's the basis of a Christian friendship. Not just, hey, let's look at each other and focus on us, but let's look over here at Jesus and go there together. It, this is the same with I mean, any, probably your closest friends have always been built on going in the same direction. That's why if you ever went on a mission trip, you got really close, even though they were all weird and you never wanted to like them, but then you did. Or if you joined a sports team, you join a sports team, there might be all sorts of people. You don't know anything about them, but you have the same mission. You're going the same place. You have the same goal. Well, here's the biggest thing, man, we're going in the direction of, of life with Jesus, let me help you towards that. That's not, let's focus on one another. That's let's focus on Jesus down there. And as we do that, as we're walking in the same direction, we become friends because we have a oneness together of where we're going. We have a spiritual oneness. We have a common destination. Here's how Tim Keller, pastor and author, says this. So many marriages are begun with the journey to God only an afterthought. Many Christians congratulate themselves that they have married another believer, but they look at their prospective spouse's faith as simply one more factor that makes him or her compatible, like common interests and hobbies. But that's not what spiritual friendship is. It is eagerly helping one another know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. If you're doing that, if you look at another person, married or not, and say, I want to help you, know and love and serve and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. And you don't even think about, hey, I want to be your friend. Will you be my friend? You just go, I want to help you do that. You do that with another person, you become friends because there's a oneness spiritually that begins to take place. So what does that practically look like? Well, it looks like talking about the Bible together. I mean, in our community groups, we have something called LTGs where people read the Bible and they talk about what's God doing in your life? How's he working? What's he convicting you of? You're spiritually going in the same place that builds friendship. Second way is this. You have to know the other person. Now, I know that might sound basic, but you have to get to know somebody. You can't be one with someone if you don't know them. 
there can't be a togetherness and a coming together if you don't really know the other person. And often what happens is we get lazy with this and think, well, I already know them. But we are always evolving and changing and adding. Like if, if we spend a year together getting to know one another and then I don't see you for another year, there's a lot of things that are going to be different. I'm not saying my whole personality is different or something, but I'm just, there's going to be new experiences I've had. There's going to be new things I'm struggling with. There's going to be new thoughts I've had. There's going to be new ways I'm growing. There's going to be new, just exciting things that have happened in my life. A lot of times dating is about getting to know one another. Then you get married and think you know the other person. But everybody is on a book that just keeps getting written. We're always evolving and changing and adding new things If you want to be friends with someone, you have to get to know them. Which means you have to get to know facts about them. Like, hey, just what do they like, dislike? What kind of, I mean, I've already laid some of my cards on the table. What kind of music do they like? What kind of books do they read? What kind of movies? One of the first things my wife and I did on our honeymoon was watch Lord of the Rings. Extended edition. Because it's like, hey, you're never going to know me if you don't know these movies. This is a part, this, if, if the heart of marriage is friendship, the heart of Caleb is Lord of the Rings, okay? Um, not really, but it's Anna Green Gables. <laughs> uh, not really. It's Lord of the Rings. Okay, so <laughs> there needs to be a crazy mashup of the two. Um, you have to know one another. Facts, right? Just who are you? But also feelings. Like, man, what do you, I mean, do you know, if you're married, do you, and not even if you're married, okay? If you're friends with somebody, do you know right now what they're suffering through? And we are all, I, I would bet, every single one of us is suffering in some way. Do you know what they're suffering with? Do you know what's hard for them? We, on our date nights once a week, we ask each other, just what's your general heart burden right now? Just what's, gen, like, what's the overall, I mean, what's just the general heart weight you have? And do you know that about your friends? You have to know somebody, feelings, what are they suffering, what are they learning, what are they, how is God working in their life? I mean, these are, sometimes people go, what do we talk about? This, talk about this. Ask each other, man, what's going on? What are you feeling? What's happening? There's no facts, you got no feelings, and you got no plans. Like, do you know what they hope for, what their goals are, what they're desiring, what they want to do? We, once a year, sit down and talk about, man, what do we want the next year to look like? What do we want to work on together? What do we want to do? What, what do we want to spend our time doing? What changes do we need to make? We talk about plans. That's how you get to know somebody. All of this normally happens when someone's dating, and then it just kind of fizzles away. You got to have some ways of saying, let's keep getting to know one another. And if you're not married, same thing. You can kind of make a friendship with somebody and then over time you just kind of get comfortable and you stop actually getting to know the other person in their life and what's happening. So you got to get to know one another. People are so interesting. You know, isn't it crazy that we watch reality TV to watch other people's lives and we're like, oh, this is so interesting. I get an inside look at someone's life. Well, just do that with the people around you. Just tell your friends, I... Guess what? You are starring in a reality TV show. I'm going to follow you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know you. I mean, people, because the reason reality TV is so successful is because people are interesting. They are. 
You are so interesting. I'm serious. Like we could talk for thousands of hours about you. You are endlessly interesting. Everybody is. We're made in God's image. And God is endlessly interesting. So don't watch reality TV. Ask people questions, okay? (laughs) Number three is we become one. We become friends through serving one another. So you don't just get to know somebody, but you actually serve them. And here's how this is an expression of unity and oneness. If you're not thinking about unity and oneness, if you're not thinking about one flesh, if you're not thinking about we are together, you're just thinking about you and your life, and you serve yourself all the time. What do you want to eat? You choose it. What do you want to watch on TV? You choose it. What do you want to listen to? You choose it. What do you want to do with your time? You choose it. But a friendship is a coming together where you're not just thinking about you anymore. You're thinking about another person. You're thinking about them and you, but you're thinking about them. Paul in Philippians says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of other people. That's unity. That's, that's not even a marriage verse. That's just, don't just think about you. Friendship is, I'm not just thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. And that's, then service flows out of that. Because you stop just thinking, man, what candy do I want to eat tonight? And you go, hey, you know what? My wife likes this candy bar. I'm going to buy that for her. You stop just thinking about, man, what shirt do I like? And you go, man, my wife says she hates this raggedy shirt. I'm going to throw that away. You stop just thinking about, I mean, you just stop thinking about you. And you go, I'm considering I'm one with somebody else. I'm together with someone else. It's the same with, even if you're not married, that's what friendship is. Your eyes are stopping off of just on you and you move from this posture to this and go, there's other people that I'm one with. And the Bible says that's what the church is. We are one with one another. That's what, the mar- that's what a marriage is, but that's what the church is. We're one with one another. We belong to one another. So we don't just think about us and what we want, what we like and what we want to do. We think about other people. One of the, one of the most important things with this is it doesn't mean just big things. It means little things. Sometimes we think, okay, I'll serve someone, so I'll do this big act of kindness. And that's great. Do it. Do big, extravagant, generous things. But most of the time, it's daily little thoughtfulness. Do you know someone that's really thoughtful? Man, that's what we should all aspire to because we're not just thinking of ourselves. We're all thoughtful. That's just about who? You're really thoughtful about yourself, right? But friendship is I'm thinking about someone else, not just me, because I'm one with other people. I belong to other people. I'm in family with other people, especially in a marriage, but beyond that. You serve other people because you begin to think about other people. One of the you know, greatest ways that I've experienced this is with my wife. You know, many of you know that I've got gluten issues in the last year. We spent doing this crazy diet, insane diet, where you couldn't have donuts, okay? So that's how crazy it was. You know, but it's worse than that. It's, I, mean, you, I mean, it's basically the first month we ate boiled meat and boiled veggies. That's it. And broth. That was the first month. And then after that, 
no sugar, which, man, that's so hard you don't even realize. Had to make almost everything at home. I mean, just hard. That was the first, that's because of me, because I got problems. She doesn't have problems, okay? But she did that for me, with me, because that's, she did, she could have said, well, that's your thing. That's your issue. You got to deal with that. And I would have said, well, I guess I'm not going to do it. That's probably what I would have said. <laughs> but because she's viewing herself as we're one, we're in it together, we're, we're on the same path, we're in the same boat. That's what friendship is. That's what serving someone is. You say, we are not just thinking about me. I'm thinking about you and me because we're one now. We're not just coexisting. We're community, which is united together. There's a big difference between coexisting and, become, and between becoming one. That's unity. That's all friendship. All friendship is oneness, unity, intimacy. So, common spiritual destination, knowing the other person, serving the other person, and then spending time together. Everybody spends time together, right? But making that a priority in several different ways. Like first, just normal things. The title of this sermon, if you are following along on little cards, is you should probably watch more Netflix in bed. And that's not related to Netflix and chill because that wasn't even around yet, okay? Just some of you don't know what that is, some of you do. But that's not what it's related to if you thought that was this sermon tonight. That's referring to just friendship, of just using normal time together. Just normal time together of, man, we're just going to be friends and spend normal time, maximize the normal time you have. Here's what I mean. You eat. And eat together. I know some people don't even eat together. They eat dinner separate places in the house, or they kind of going about. Man, just eat. Use your normal time. Eat together. If you do watch a TV show, watch it together. Like, just use normal time together. But not just normal time. Also prioritizing more intense time together, vacation and trips and actually going, let's spend time, let's, we all have a certain amount of time, let's spend it together. Let's spend it together. Let's prioritize one another. If, if you're not married, it's the same thing. And we all do things, right? We all eat meals, most of us, uh, three, 21 meals, most of us eat 21 meals, right, a, a week, not in our lifetime, most of us eat 21 meals a week. Man, spend some of those with other people. Do the normal things you do with other people. I know some of you do different sports leagues and you play soccer or you play softball. Man, don't just do that by yourself. Do it with someone. That's how you make friends. You say, I'm going to do the normal things I do with my life, but I'm going to do it with someone else. We're going to share our life together. Sometimes what happens is couples still try to live separate lives under the same roof. Or you try to become friends with someone that you're not married to. You try to become friends with someone, but you're still really doing separate things and your friendship isn't based on anything. You become friends, you make friends by saying, let's spend our time together. And then the final one is this. Final expression of oneness is that you show appreciation to one another. You show appreciation to one another, which means this. You're looking at each other's lives and you're able to say, man, thank you. And man, hey, I'm really, I really appreciate that you did this. 
so much of our lives is negative, either to ourselves or from other people. We get together and complain about things and grumble about things. We have negative voices that we speak to ourselves. But being able to look at another person and appreciate them and encourage them and thank them, one of the things that we do to just build this into our life is when we take a date night, we always share, and what's, what is one of the ways that God is using me in your life? Now, that's a great question for any friend to ask each other because you're able to encourage one another and go, look, this is good. This is how I see. You're just appreciating the good stuff that you see. We all know all the bad things already, right? But spending time to actually go, man, I see God working in your life in this way. I'm thankful for this. I appreciate that you did this. Thank you for this. Man, that's, we, we want that, right? Man, that's such a gift to be able to do that with each other. Do, don't, and don't make, don't think about that sometimes in, you know, outside of marriage. So here's what happens. In marriage, people know they should do that and they don't. In non-marriage, just friendship, people don't even think they should do that and then don't. It's like weird. Man, why would I look at my friend and show them that appreciation and honor and encouragement and affection? And, but you should. You should look at your friends and go, man, I'm so thankful for you. Man, I really appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Man, I see God blessing me through you. We should do that with our friends. Man, that's a gift. And don't just wait for other people to do that to you. This is how you make friends. Okay? So, common destination, really getting to know someone, serving someone, spending time, showing appreciation. And last week I asked you married couples to write a letter of confession to each other. I hope you did that. If you didn't, do it this week. But I'd love for you to write a letter of appreciation this week. Tell them what you're thankful for. Tell them how you appreciate them. Tell them how God's working through them in your life. Spend time. Maybe, maybe you go, man, I'm drawing a blank. Spend time. Ask God to help you see that. And here's the other thing. Maybe you need to do that to somebody else. Man, I remember one time I heard a sermon years ago, probably a decade ago. And the pastor said, man, who do you need to thank? Just who's, been, who's helped you in your life or who's shown God to you in your life? Who do you need to thank? So even outside of marriage, I would just say the same thing. Like, I remember I wrote, I wrote a couple people a letter after that, and it was just, and they were so grateful because people just don't do that to one another. They just don't. It's so sad, but they don't. So even if you're not married, who this week should you write something to and, and tell them how God has used them in your life, how you're thankful for them and appreci show, showing appreciation Those are five things that flow out of oneness. The Bible says that marriage is a friendship. It's this oneness. It's this coming together. And out of that, practically, flows all of these different things. But that's difficult, right? I mean, maybe you're even hearing some of that, and maybe as you hear it, why is that difficult? Maybe you're convicted and go, man, I haven't been a very good friend, either to your friends or your spouse, you go, man, I haven't been a very good friend. If that's what friendship is, if that's how you make friends, maybe I haven't been the best friend. It can be difficult, right? 
Or maybe it's difficult because you go, man, I want that and I don't have that. Or man, I've tried that with my spouse or with other people and it's never reciprocated. It can be difficult, right? A friendship can be difficult. It can be really difficult. Which to me, as I'm thinking about this, is what amazes me all the more then is how Jesus says he's our friend. Because we find friendship difficult. We find friendship difficult. I mean, everything I just listed out, that's difficult. Here's why it's difficult. Because it, it's causing us to have a death to ourself. It's causing us to lay aside part of us to join with another person. That's true in marriage, most intensely, but in any relationship. Because you're not just thinking about you. You're not just serving you. You're not just spending time with you. You're not just doing what you want. Friendship is difficult because you are allowing part of you to be set aside, to join with another person. But if we go, man, that's hard. Friendship is death? Yeah. Which again is all the more reason to marvel that Jesus would say he would be our friend. And here's how Jesus says this. Greater love, he's telling this to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is an amazing verse in light of what we just talked about that we go, here's what friendship is and it's so important and yet so difficult and we go, that is hard because that would cause me to not just do what I want and think about me and, and yeah, it's hard. And Jesus says the greatest of friendship is when you're willing to lay down your life. And Jesus didn't do that just metaphorically just by thinking of us, just by he did that physically on the cross, saying, I'm your friend. And here's what's amazing too. Friendship is this unity, this coming together. That's what Jesus gives to us. You know that Jesus doesn't just say, believe in me. It's some sort of abstract concept. He says, I want to enter into your life. I want to be your friend. I want to have a relationship with you. The Bible says that God calls us to himself that he actually enters into relationship with us. Which is all the more amazing when we think about who we are. Like we want to be friends with really cool people, right? People that are great co-friends to us. But the distance between us and God is really unbalanced. We don't bring much to the table. But he says, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. And to the fullest, to the fullest, I do what a good friend does. See, Jesus is not just the king of kings, but he is. He's not just the Lord of lords, but he is. He's the friend of friends. And here's what happens. The more that you experience this kind of friendship from Jesus, and you go, man, God has been my friend. He made, he made himself one with me. He serves me. He gives me life. He thinks of me. He considers me. All the things a friend does, he does that to me. That begins, if, when you receive that friendship, 
you begin to become a better friend and give that out. And you're able to confess and go, man, I haven't been a very good friend. Maybe some of you need to do that to your spouse, to other friends in your life, and say, I haven't been a great friend to you. But the more you experience this friendship from him, the more it begins to change your heart so that you give that out. And here's what it also does. I hope, and man, I pray this for our church all the time, just so you know. I hope you, you make such good friendships here. And I, that is, I pray that all the time. I mean, that just weighs on my heart. Um, I, man, I just want people to have good friends. But you might not. And the more you don't, when you press into this relationship and experience him as a sweet friend to you, man, you experience, so this is just an encouragement to you if you're lonely at all. The more you press into this, sometimes the more pain you experience in loneliness, the more you're able to experience the sweetness of this friendship. Now I hope and I pray that you're able to have, and I think God wants you to experience that life in human friendship. But when for whatever reason you don't have it, you press into this, you, I think you find something even sweeter than if you had all the friends you ever wanted. Jesus is our friend. And he saved us out of rebellion and sin and self-centeredness to bring us to be his friends. And that's what we remember when we take communion. We remember that Jesus laid down his life. He had his body broken and his blood shed. Why? So that we could become one with him. So that we could become his friends. So would you pray with me? God, thank you that you would send Jesus to us to be our friend. I know, Lord, that you're so much more than our friend. You are our savior. And you have saved us from sin and death. But God, I thank you that you are I mean, just, I, I don't, it's just a mind-blowing thing that you would call us your friends. Thank you that you call us your friends. Thank you for what you went through to be able to call us your friends. Thank you that you showed us what friendship is, but that you also extended friendship to us at great cost to yourself. Thank you for that, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would experience greater depths of friendship with you than we ever have, and that for those that are married, they would be able to grow in friendship with one another, and for everyone in our church, Lord, that you would help us to be a community of friends, that we would not just wait for others to do that to us, but Lord, that we would cultivate, that we would make friends, empower us by your spirit to do that. Thank you again, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.